Well, let me go ahead and begin by just reading the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm actually going to pick up in verse 12. We, we looked at that last week, but I'll be reading verse 12 through the end. Uh, but we'll be focusing on verses 14 to 31. This is the word of God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to that part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God. Now some read this passage and come to the conclusion that the church in Corinth is struggling with what they would call body image. The church is looking in the mirror and it isn't happy with everything that it sees. Some of the members see themselves in comparison with other members of the church and they feel inferior. They are like the Winnie the Pooh character, Eeyore. Eeyore the donkey is ever glum and doesn't think much of himself or his participation in the Friends of the Hundred Acre Wood. So, so when Pooh acknowledges, or anyone acknowledges Eeyore, all he can say is, thanks for noticing me. Eeyore doesn't really feel like one of Pooh's friends in the Hundred Acre Wood. Some of the members see themselves in comparison to others of the members in the church, and they feel superior. They're like Tigger. 
Tigger bounces around everywhere, and he's into everything. Now, we all like Tigger, but you do remember the song he sings about himself, don't you? The wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. But the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. Now that's cute when you're a soft plush toy, but not when you're a member of a local church. You know, these are the two images that the church in Corinth is struggling with. Those who think they are nothing and those who think they are everything. Apologies to Tigger. He's not as bad as the ones in Corinth who think they are superior because of their spiritual gift. And the spiritual gift that they're really holding up, that think they're special about, is tongues. That's where this is headed in chapter 14. It's the few with the gift of tongues who are lording their flashy gift over the others in the church. And Paul draws, he draws a comic strip. I mean, I mean, this is a comic strip with words to show how absurd these two images are. It's funny to imagine body parts having a conversation with one another. Look, look we grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, you know, that kind of humor, not that, not that prevalent in Corinth. And Paul does this with words. Or it's, it's absurd to imagine a giant ear hovering past you as if it were a whole body. It's absurd. It would be funny if this struggle with body image in the church wasn't causing so much harm and division. How to think about and understand the grace gifts is serious. Because in, in ripping apart the church body, they're, they're ripping apart the body of Christ, Paul says. Remember what we looked at last week in the first part of chapter 12. How does, how does Paul address this church's issue with body image? He was, he was written to, and he said, please take up, this, take up our, our questions about spiritual gifts. And Paul sees there's more here than that. There's a real body image problem. And how does he take it up? Not with psychology, but with theology. The gifts of the Spirit, the gifts that the Spirit gives to the church are under the Lordship of Christ. Remember? People with the Spirit say, Jesus is Lord. And the gifts are manifested by the Spirit in various ways in each of us. Just as we participate in various activities in the church, just as we perform different services to the church. And all of this is for the common good of all the body and is all under the will of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But like the Corinthians, sometimes we just can't seem to help ourselves. When we hear the words, spiritual gift, we think the words, spiritual power. Because that's what it seems like. We've been handed spiritual power, which is what makes verse 7 so important in our understanding of these grace gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Think about that. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Who among you is able to cause the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in the lives and services in the church? Which of one you can make him do that? Is it you? Is it me? 
Have you been given power over the Spirit to cause Him to manifest Himself? No. The Holy Spirit will manifest Himself in the church. He will do it for the common good in His grace gifts. It is God who empowers the grace gifts, verse 6. It is the Spirit who is the power in the grace gift, the dynamos, the, the dynamite, the power in each grace gift, verse 11. That's what Paul wants the Corinthians to grasp hold of. And now he's going on to explain the church in which the Spirit manifests himself through these gifts to help us to get a grip on reality. And it's a beautiful and simple reality, this church. If you want to follow along on the sermon outline, you'll see this theme. God has designed his church to be one body with many members. God has made us all equally honorable so that we would live together in unity and serve one another with equal care. I think it's that simple, and if you think about it, that profound and that lovely. So are you feeling a little inferior, dear church member? Because if you are, you're still a needed part of the body. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In addressing the grace gifts, Paul teaches the Corinthians about the church. He continues the analogy of the human body and the church body in this way. Neither body consists of just one member, but many members. First, he addresses those members feeling a little inferior based on their grace gift. And who, because of that, say they, you know, they just don't really think they're part of the body. Let's just, let's just notice that it's ridiculous for a foot to talk, right? Okay, that's ridiculous. So Paul quickly gets our attention to make an obvious point. Poor Eeyore, the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. You know, hands, man, they do really cool things. They're so dexterous. Things that I can't do as a foot. You know, when, when I... I get all dirty and stuff, and it's you know, the hand that washes me and washes me clean and pulls the splinters out from between my toes. I, I'm just a burden. I'm just a burden, and, and anyway, all I do is spend my whole day down in this darn sock. I'm not a part of the body. And the ear overhears <laughs> the foot's conversation. Ear can't help but overhear. And the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body either. The pity party's growing. Even when I hear something, the body, the body doesn't believe it until the eye turns and sees it. I might as well not hear anything at all. It's what the eye sees that really matters to the body. I mean, frankly, I just I don't feel like much a part of the body at all. Now, one or two of us here, have felt that way before. But some really have the Eeyore gift because you have a wrong understanding of the church. You have drawn a wrong conclusion about yourself. 
There is not a standard of spiritual giftedness that you have to meet in order to be considered a part of God's body. You are a part of the body because God has made you a part of the body. A foot can say it's not a part of the body, but there it is. Connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bone's connected to the shin bone, and the shin bone's connected to the knee bone, and they are all parts of the body, whether they say so or not. As a part of the body, you are to participate in the life of the body. But you are a part of the body because in one spirit you were baptized into that one body of Christ. So, Eeyore, get over yourself. You are a part of the body of Christ, and you have been noticed as a part of the body of Christ this morning. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You know, left to ourselves, I think this is the body image that we would prefer. This is the body image we would choose. We would like to turn unity into uniformity, wouldn't we? Why can't all the other people in the church just be normal, like me? One or two of us have probably prayed that way before. You know, cookie cutter Christians. As long as I get to select the form of the cookie cutter. And it seems like it would be so much easier, life in the church, if it were that way. But Paul says it would actually be so much more grotesque. Grotesque. A giant ear is not a body. It's grotesquely huge, and it is clearly grotesquely detached from a body that it should be attached to. It's, it's a cartoonishly absurd idea. The same would be true of a giant eye. And the reality would be that these parts should be gathered into a body. That's what's obvious about a giant ear hovering by and a giant or, or eye rolling by. They're, they should be gathered into a body somewhere. Something is absurdly wrong with the individual parts hovering around like that. And what would the spiritually gifted Corinthians be if they were just one big body part? What do you, th what do you think they would choose? <laughs> a big open mouth with big lips and a wagging tongue to represent their favorite spiritual gift, speaking various languages. How absurd. It's ugly and distorted and it's puffed up. But that's not how it is. That's not the right understanding of how the church body works. A body requires parts. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. Paul, Paul says it again. Paul repeats himself. 
Repetition is the mother of learning. Please, dear Corinthians, as it is, there are many parts and one body. And why is it that way? Because God himself has arranged these members in this body as he's chosen. Period. By the way, Paul's not addressing the universal church. This is not theology and theory. Paul calls this local church in the city of Corinth the body of Christ, and he calls this local church in the city of Corinth the church of God. Let that sink in. And that means, Mr. Foot and Mrs. Ear, we need you. We need you. We need you to recognize that you are a part of this local church. We need you to participate in our gatherings, and we we need you to serve for our common good. Please don't hold back your presence from the body. Please don't refuse your service to the body, because your body will be the lesser for it. It also means, hey, you, Mrs. One Big Eye and Mr. One Big Ear, we need you too. But we need you to share the space with the rest of us. You both need Mr. Foot to take you to the places where you are meant to see and hear things on behalf of the rest of us. And he's good at that. Remember verses 4 and 5. There are various varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. And because every believer has been baptized into one spirit, into one body, into Christ, this is how God has made things. Let me just take a second and say to you, dear friend, if you're not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't have the Spirit, and if you're not declaring with your life and with your words, Jesus is Lord, you need to. Yours is a body destined for the wrath of God to come upon your sin. I know that sounds shocking. I know that sounds a little over the top. But dear friend, Your body is destined for hell in its sinful state. It's what the Bible tells us. That you have rebelled against God. That your life actually is screaming out loud, Jesus is accursed. I don't need him. I don't want him. I can do things on my own. But the Lord Lord sent his own son to come help you. He didn't hold back his service to you, and you're not even a part of the body. He he sent his own son to die on a cross, to receive, to absorb God's own wrath upon himself in your place so that you would not have to. You see, that's the true service of the love of God for you. And God places it before you and says, won't you have it? You don't have to clean up your dirty foot or wash your dirty foot bloody hands. You can just receive. You can just receive my faith by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the work that he has accomplished, and a spiritual transaction is what takes place. 
God cleanses you spiritually so that you can stand before him guiltless. There isn't a person here, believer or unbeliever, who has experienced a guiltless day of life on this earth. But in Christ, we have that guiltlessness. We have that blamelessness. We have that God sees us as sinless the way he sees his son, the righteous Lord Jesus Christ. And you want that. If you'd think about it, if you'd ponder it, you would know that you want that. Not to receive God's just condemnation for your sins, which are ever before you, but to receive mercy. What a wonderful gift, mercy and forgiveness. And that's not all. I know, it sounds like a TV commercial, but it's not. You're not just, you're not just determined to be, by God, justified in the docket. He brings you out of his courtroom and he lives within you by the power of his Holy Spirit to protect you and to seal you for the day to come when you receive an inheritance that he's promised for you. It's, it really is all good. So that's what Paul is grounding his answers. He's talking to the, this church about their spiritual gifts and they're all messed up in their understanding of that. But in trying to help them, he tries to help them understand the church and trying to help them understand the church, he's trying to help you understand the church this morning. That this is the place where God gathers his people. And these are the people whom Christ will come back for and take them home. And that is the place where you want to be. Having addressed those members feeling a little inferior because they had misunderstood the church, now Paul addresses those members arresting, asserting their feelings of superiority. In verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. You know, I'm really feeling pretty bad about the whole Tigger analogy right, right now. Just, you know, because I really like Tigger. And, but, but you can almost hear. You can almost hear the ones who are causing all the body shaming and spiritual gift shaming in the church in Corinth singing a little ditty, can't you? The wonderful thing about spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are a wonderful thing. And the most wonderful thing about my spiritual gift is that it's better than yours. You can almost hear them singing that. So Paul extends the body analogy to again explain the church. You see, because it's a blind eye that would say to the hand, I have no need of you. Because the eye does need the hand. And it's a stupid head that would say to the feet, I have no need of you. Because the head does need the feet. Just because the eye and the head don't appreciate the contributions of the other members of the body because of their pride and arrogance doesn't mean they don't need them. They do. And so Paul says, on the contrary. On the contrary, verse 22. On the contrary. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, Paul says, I think, three things here about the body. Here's a, here's a quick way, I think, to sum it up. There are parts of the human body that we see. I can see everybody's face and hands. There are parts of the human body that we don't see, like your liver or your spleen. Who needs a spleen anyway? Your spleen or, or even your heart. I'm, I'm glad I have a heart, but I don't want anybody to take it out and show me, right? I want them to put it back in there. We don't see those parts, but they're, they're very, very necessary. So there are parts that we see, and there are parts of the body we don't see, and there are parts of the human body we don't want to see. They are private. We treat them with extra modesty and extra care. And that's where Paul's analogy of the body ends. I don't know if you noticed that. We're not meant to identify who are the weaker, less honorable, unrepresentable people in the church with their weaker, less honorable, unrepresentable gifts. I think that's what people do. They say, oh, well, look, this is, what's, this is what we see in the human body. And so now we're supposed to discern in the church who are, those, who are those people so much less than I, who fit these categories. No, it's not. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's what the Corinthians were doing. And Paul says, on the contrary. That's what the Corinthians are doing in the church, and it's wrong. They, they liked the flashy gifts, that brought them personal attention, and in their efforts to be the super spiritual ones in the church, they developed contempt for others. Do you see that? They were critical of and judgmental towards their brothers and sisters who are in Christ. The very ones that God had chosen and arranged as their fellow members in this church. You see, the analogy is no longer one of comparison, now it's one of contrast. The church body is not like that. Look, he says, but God, that's an adversative, but God has so composed the body, that is the church body, the body of Christ, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. The church body isn't like the body in that way. In God's process of composing the church, in Christ's process of baptizing us in the Holy Spirit, any who lacked honor were given honor so that none of us now lack honor. Do you see? The analogy breaks down at this point, because in the church body, we were all weak, but now we are all indispensable. We were all unpresentable. But Jesus is not ashamed of us. Now we have all been made presentable. We were all of lesser honor. Not many of you noble, Paul writes to the Corinthians, but now we are all together equally honorable. God has composed the church body this way. We are not a list of parts. We are a body. And we are all honorable in this fellowship. Though we have different roles, 
though we have different positions, though we have different gifts, God has arranged each member in the body. He has composed the body with equal honor among its members for two reasons, for unity and for mutual care. Paul just spells it out for us. Look at the middle of verse 24. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So he's done it for unity. What has been the problem in the church in Corinth from the beginning of this letter? It has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Is Christ divided? Paul writes. The Corinthians don't know how to think rightly about the church. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful thing, but they manage to make it ugly and a divisive thing by their arrogance and their partiality. Grace gifts are a uniting thing that serve the common good, but they've managed to make them dividing things by their pride and their self-promotion. Paul is correcting their understanding of the church to eliminate their dishonoring of one another and to bring an end to division and restore unity to the body of Christ the way God designed it and the way the Spirit upholds it. When we understand the church in this light, we see that God has composed the church like a beautiful symphony. That's what that, that word points to. He has composed the church like a beautiful symphony with hundreds of players playing thousands of notes to create one beautiful, harmonious sound. And it sounds like Love for the brethren. Beautiful words. It sounds like love for the brethren. It sounds like each member offering the same specialized care to each other member in the church. It does not sound like a foot singing that he's not a part of the body when he is a part of the body. That's a clunker. Okay, that's a flat note. And it does not sound like an eye singing that she doesn't need the rest of the choir. That's a shrill note. That's pretty sharp. When members do that, they are acting in opposition to God's own unified composition of the church. That's what they're doing. And they are not only dividing the church. Paul says that in some way they are dividing the body of Christ. Let that sink in. So if you are an Eeyore, set aside your pride. Yes, Eeyore, your pity party is an expression of your pride. And set aside your hurt feelings for being overlooked for so long. And you have been. You have been. People in the church do tend to disappoint one another. That's why we have things like forgiveness and forbearance so that we can keep moving forward. Keep, keep moving forward. And serve the brethren anyway. Because you harm the church by withholding your indispensable participation and service. 
Don't look around. You're the one harming the church. And if you are a Tigger, apologies to Tigger, you need to take a real dose of humility. Now, it's going to taste sour to you, but it's good medicine. You have over-honored yourself among the brethren with your incessant super-spiritual crusade within the church. We see you hopping around, and, but you are no more indispensable than Eeyore, whom you have allowed yourself to become blind to. Because you harm the church even more because of your divisive dishonoring of those for whom Christ died. So there's no division when we're equally honored. And God has made it such that we are equally honored. And we offer mutual care without partiality. Without partiality, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that how the body works? Isn't that how the body works? Our bodies. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't, feel, don't you feel the pain all the way down to your toes? Ow! If you, if you just, maybe if you just hit your funny bone, doesn't your whole body do a little dance to that discomfort when you hit your funny bone? How much more should we all impartially give specially tailored care to one another when one is suffering? I mean suffering. Caring for one another should be the church's natural reflex to suffering. And our natural reflex to others being honored should be immediate rejoicing. Immediate rejoicing. Sometimes, sometimes when someone tells us about something good happening to them or in their life, one or two of us, one or two of us may think, why did that good thing happen to him? Why does anything good like that ever happen to me? You know, it's funny that both Eeyores and Tiggers can have that same reaction. And it's ugly, isn't it? Let's just call it what it is. It's ugly. Oh, we quickly laugh it off. We quickly laugh it off, but isn't it, isn't it so true? It's God's design that we would immediately rejoice with one another, and we're working against God when we don't. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there to train our hearts so that our caring for one another and our rejoicing with one another would be a manifestation of himself in the church for the common good. The last five verses are a, a summary of Paul's teaching on the church in answer to a question about the uninformed practice of spiritual gifts in the church in Corinth, picking up again at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gift of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul says it again. I mean, I think he's trying to drive a point home here, brothers and sisters. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. How are we to think of ourselves? We are to think of ourselves as the church of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, and then as members of that body. Paul could have said members of the church, but he says members of the body of Christ. By God's grace, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and made one in Christ himself. All of us together. You know, this is, this is foundational to our understanding of the local church and also to the local church membership. Modern church membership is not based on a country club model. The church is not a club where you pay dues and you have certain privileges and you demand other services. The local church is not a service provider, although many people treat churches like they're service providers and many churches organize themselves and market themselves as service providers. The Corinthian church is struggling with that body image, aren't they? In many different ways, they want to be a mere service provider, but Paul is fighting to correct their uninformed notion. The church has membership because the body has members. The New Testament church knows who's a member and who's not a member. The church in Corinth knows who's a member of the church in Corinth and who's not a member of the church in Corinth. See, the church has the keys to baptize believers into the church. The church disciplines her members in godly living, or excuse me, disciples them in godly living and disciplines them when they're unrepentant. The elders know whose souls they're responsible for and whose souls they're not going to give an account for before the Lord. And each member knows whom to prioritize with their duty of care. And we covenant together to gather, to worship, to pray, to serve, to grow, to love one another. This is, this is the picture Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're members of a body growing in love. So we are the church and the individual members thereof. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And what has God done for his church? First, God has appointed or given three offices or roles within the church that he has arranged and composed. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now this, is, this is a new list, right? Here's a second list in chapter 12 of the gifts given by the Spirit. But Paul says they are appointed by God and they're appointed for Christ. The Holy Spirit is not giving away any spiritual powers to members for their own personal gratification. Rather, the triune God is arranging, composing, and appointing in his church. And there seems to be some order to the list. Everyone argues about the order. I'm going to argue that there are two groupings 
in this list of gifts to the church. The numerated ones, apostles, prophets, teachers, and all the rest. Apostles and New Testament prophets are absolutely essential to the founding of the church. They communicate the word of God and the will of God. They were appointed to preach and make disciples and establish the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth at that time. The time that Paul's writing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read that beginning at Pentecost, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So these offices and roles were operating in the church at the time Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And we'll have more to say about them when we get to chapter 14. Be patient. But the church needs people to teach what the apostles have written. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. The church needs people to teach what the apostles have written. So teachers are grouped with the apostles and prophets. Teachers carry on the ministry of the word, the gospel in the church. Apostles and prophets are essential to the establishment of the church by the word of Christ. And teachers are necessary in the church to carry on the ministry of the word. No church is built up without the word of God that saves and transforms sinners. What else has God done for the body of Christ here on earth? Well, after first the apostles, second the prophets, and third the teachers, then God gives grace gifts. Paul calls them charismata in the Greek. It's the word he uses here. They're grace gifts. And I don't think they're listed in any particular order except that tongues is last. Simply because Paul is going to go on to address tongues in greater detail in chapter 14. Although we do find a couple of gifts not mentioned earlier in chapter 12. The grace gift of helping and the grace gift of administrating would certainly contribute to the common good of the local church. But you can see a distinction, can't you? You can see a distinction between the numerated gifts and the not numerated gifts. The church can survive without the miraculous gifts. The church can survive without the sign gifts. People are called to help even without the gifts of help. The people are called to administrate even without the gift of administrating. But no church can be founded without the apostles and the prophets. And no church would continue without the teachers of the apostles' words. It's not the individual people who were God's gift to the church, so to speak. Some people think they are God's gift to the church. There's a sense in which that's true. There's a sense in which that's, that's an overstatement. But it's the position and the roles. So there are many roles in one church, making each member indispensable, Mr. Foot. And no one person has all of the grace gifts such that he's a body unto himself, Mrs. Eyeball. All are not apostles, prophets, or teachers. All do not possess all of the grace gifts, not miracles, not healing, not tongues. Because the church is not a list of gifts. It is the body of Christ. 
Each member is indispensably intertwined, intermingled, interdependent upon all of the other members. You know, when God adds a member to our church, he has not just added a new servant to the roster. He has added an individual who is now indispensable to Christ Fellowship Church. And that indispensability is irrevocable. This is the correct body image that the church should have in mind. There's an interesting, interesting couple of sentences here towards the end in verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and then, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This baffles me. It really does. Not what Paul's saying, but how so many people misunderstand and misapply it. I am amazed at the people in the churches who come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they walk away being more like the Corinthians in their treatment of spiritual gifts, than they do like Paul's correction of them. There are some in the Corinthian church who arrogantly and self-promotingly desire the greater gifts for themselves, right? And what, they, what do they think is the greatest gift of all? Well, it's tongues. Well, if, if, you're not, if you're not affirmed in that right now, you will be when we get to chapter 14. It's what Paul's heading towards. It's a flashy self-promoting gift to suddenly speak in a language that you have not learned. And the Corinthians are all about spectacular speakers, aren't they? Refer back to the first four chapters of this letter. Four chapters! They loved the great speakers. And they wanted to be like them. And so Paul has labored over and over and over to tell us that the grace gifts given by the Spirit to the church are not for the individual, but for the church. And he has told us that you don't get to choose one. Because the Spirit apportions them to each one individually as he wills. And so why would Paul suddenly at the end of chapter 12 say, hey, go wish for a gift. Go grasp at one of the greater gifts. Go pray for a greater gift than the one that you've already received from the Spirit. Because that's not good enough. He would not. This does not say what many people believe. Oh, you see, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to attain, you're supposed to desire a gift you don't have. If you don't have it, it's because it hasn't been given to you, and it won't be. And so this is not an encouragement to seek the gift of tongues, as some foolishly believe, to the harm of the church. Paul is saying you, plural, you, the body of Christ. Desire the higher gifts. What does he mean? He means the numerated gifts. The ones that are, stand out as different from the others. <clears throat> Desire the higher gifts, you church. The apostles, the prophets, and the teachers to be present in your church. You need those to be present in your church. Paul is not saying that they should desire only the teaching gifts the word gifts, he is saying that they should earnestly desire that we would always have teachers of the word in the church. Because it is the word of God that builds up the people of God. 
You can do without the other gifts. But you can't do without this. So desire earnestly that they would be in your church. That's what Paul's saying. He's not saying go pray for a superpower that you don't have. Some in the church in Corinth and some today have so hyped, so super sensationalized their idea of spiritual powers that they think their individual gifting is the way to live the Christian life. But Paul promises that there's a far more excellent way. There's a far more excellent way for those like you here this morning who have been baptized into the Holy Spirit and who say Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gifts to the church. Thank you for the Spirit's giving of gifts to the church. Thank you for your grace to the church. Thank you for feet and hands and eyes and ears in the church. Thank you that when you baptized us in the one spirit into the one body of Christ, you made us all equally honorable that we might not have any cause for division, but bask in the unity that Christ has won for us. And that we would, with the Spirit's help, without partiality, serve and care for one another in such a way that the Spirit manifests himself in the church. This is our prayer for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.